As soon as I started the build cycle, I knew I wanted Beeline Bikes, sorry, on the podcast. Beeline Bikes designs a self-contained mobile bicycle repair van, then franchises them across the country. Why did I want to share this story? Because it's a platform for others to build their businesses upon, a concept that has thus far eluded me in my own entrepreneurial endeavors. But it's a powerful one because it can scale so much bigger than what we're capable of doing with most normal businesses. As the franchisor, you need to anticipate what problems will come up for your franchisees, which are your true customers, and solve them in advance. Beeline Bikes co-founder Peter Buell tells us how they continually improve their systems so their customers can run the best business possible. The podcast by Tyler Benedict that explores the startup stories and growth tactics of hundreds of entrepreneurs, plus his own tips and tricks learned over two decades of launching, running, and growing businesses, including BikeRumor.com, the world's largest and most popular cycling tech blog. If you're thinking of starting your own business, the Build Cycle will give you the tools and inspiration to do it right. Now, let's dive into this episode of The Build Cycle. So Pete, I wanted to talk to you in particular about Beeline Bikes because in my mind, one of the things I've kind of figured out over the years is that the best way to grow a a big business, and that can mean big in any different way you want, is to actually create a platform as opposed to a something, right? And the example I like to think of is if I had created Blogger or WordPress, I'd be in a whole different financial (laughs) bracket right now than just creating a single blog with Bike Rumor. And so what fascinates me with what you guys have done is you've decided not to just create a mobile bike shop, but you created a platform for other people to own a uh, mobile bike shop. You know, So you created a platform for other people to build a business on. So in, in the respects of making something big that can just scale huge, it's super impressive. And uh, hats off to you. Well, thanks. Thanks. So I'm super curious how you did it. Um, if you want to give us, give us, you know, a couple of minutes of kind of like where the idea came from and what some of the very first steps were. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, so we started, you know, the, the idea actually surfaced back in uh, kind of almost 20 years ago now. So I was, uh, had been riding a lot. I was working for a startup company and got completely out of shape. Uh, had been off my bike for a while and wanted to go take it into a shop and get it uh, get it serviced. And I had, you know, flat tires and gunk on the chain and all that kind of stuff. And I walked in and out of uh, four shops who basically turned me away. Uh, either I hadn't bought my bike there or they were two or three weeks delayed. And, you know, I was all set to drop 250 bucks or something like that to get my bike uh, running smooth again. And there just wasn't an option for me that was convenient that would let me ride that weekend. And so now we're talking early days of the internet. This is, you know, late 90s. And uh, I got on some Yahoo News group or directory list and and found a a local mobile bike repair guy. And he came out to my office and I had uh, two of my buddies bring their bikes in as well. And it was just this amazing 
uh, customer experience, you know, where I was right there with a mechanic. He's got my bike in the truck. He's working on it. He's teaching me, you know, a few little uh, uh, kind of tricks and techniques about my bike. And then he's got uh, you know, a little bit of supply chain there. So some lights and locks and tubes and CO2. And I'm like, load me up. And, you know, he's kind of installing stuff on my bike right there. And so uh, from my perspective, and again, this is way back in time, it was just this amazing customer experience that I had never seen anywhere else over, you know, many years of, of going to the shop. And it was super convenient for me because it happened right at my office. That's crazy. Um, and so this guy, this was just a one-off. Some dude started it for his own little business. Yep. Yep. And he started slowly out of a Subaru and then moved to a Connellyne van and then finally to a box truck and built the customer base up over probably 15 years at that at that, uh, at that point in time. Wow. It was kind of a kind of a slow kind of organic uh, growth process. So by the time you found him, he had been doing this for 15 years. Roughly. Yep. Wow. Yep. That's something else. Yep. Okay. Yep. So and then what? So, uh, so then <laughs> that, that nod at me for 15 years after that, <laughs> so I'm always, so I'm, I, I, you know, every time I'm like, get my bike fixed, I'm like, okay. I, I, and I continued to, you know, uh, use, use this guy for, for uh, service. And, um, uh, and, and I had been in the tech world, uh, for, for many years. And so was always thinking about, you know, starting my own thing and that sort of thing. And, um, what happened, uh, if you fast forward 15 years from that first date, you, we started seeing things like Uber. You know, you push a button and the car comes to you or TaskRabbit. You push a button and the guy comes and builds your IKEA furniture. And it started getting to the point where uh, the technology platform of this you know, bike service thing uh, finally got economically viable to develop. You know, back in the late 90s, it would have cost us five or 10 million bucks to build a platform just because tech wasn't advanced as it as it is today. Well, nobody had phones, right? So that's yeah, it. phones are yeah, exactly, and 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 web wasn't as as, as widely used in that sort of thing. Um, but you know, so so we saw you know kind of all this kind of consumer convenience popping up all over the place, and I had just wrapped up. Uh, we sold a, a tech company that I was working for, and I was like, you know, I think I'm going to do this, and so I went back to the original guy and and rode with them on and off for a little bit just to make sure that the the business model made sense make sure that the you know the economics of running a mobile shop could uh you know you could pr produce enough revenue and make enough money to to make it viable and you know all that checked out and then uh a buddy and i started working on the on the tech side of this developing kind of the initial iteration of the software what uh, was, and, sorry, you said you worked in tech. What was the, your tech background and education background prior to this? Uh, yeah, so I went to school at uh, at Berkeley uh, back in uh, mid '80s, and uh, and got into more finance, accounting and finance. Worked for Price Waterhouse, and then became kind of the finance guy in a series of of tech companies, and did that for about ten years. And then I uh, got into the venture capital world, so I was actually investing in tech companies. And invested in a bunch of you know really interesting companies that have grown, gone on to be you know pretty significant uh, uh, tech companies today. But it was you know, I had this opportunity to see a lot of entrepreneurs come through who had you know huge passion about what they're doing and and really you know changed the world in a way. What were maybe some of the best practices you saw from all those companies that you picked up and used for Beeline? Um, you know it's kind of dogged pursuit of of what you want to do you know kind of i think that's you know the the number one uh you know the number one thing because as you're you know doing any company you're, there's roadblocks or you know things that come up that you didn't anticipate 
and it's kind of plowing right through those and and uh, iterating quickly and and kind of moving on and learning as you go and learning from all those kind of roadblocks and and mistakes and that sort of thing that you make along the way. So I think you know that's you know number one. Um, yeah, and and you know we've seen that here at, at Beeline. You know we, we started early and. It's really looking at, you know, how are the consumers you know, using what we're doing? How do we change the process? You know, ultimately, how do we scale? Um, All right. So let's let's uh, get back to the original okay. story here. So you rode along with the guy to make sure the economics of it made sense. Yep. And yep. apparently it did. And then uh, so how did you were the um, was the concept to create a franchise system from the get go? Or was it to like, hey, maybe we'll just own a couple trucks? Uh, it was not franchising was not in the cards in the early days. I, I kind of had more, you know, call it the Starbucks mindset in my mind that we, you know, we started a, a, with one truck here in the Bay Area, and over the course of the first oh, 18 months or so, we we built it out to to five trucks, and it was growing nicely, and customers loved the you know, the feedback was great, um, and then we started thinking about scale. And my initial idea was that we'd have hubs, kind of like we did in the Bay Area, and replicate those in different markets throughout the country. And I think that as we started investigating that, the thing that we found that was important is, you know, the, the bicycle community is a very kind of local community. Local knowledge uh, is is super important, you know, the, the, from a customer base and from a, you know, knowledge of, you know, where to go and how to develop the, the business in a particular market. Um, and really that you know, kind of led us on to the, the, the franchising roadmap because, you know, we could have a model that, that would benefit from all the scale and, and uh, platform that we've built, but then you could have an entrepreneurial guy on the ground who knew the local market who would really be, uh, you know, kind of economically incentivized to build a business in that market. Right on. Okay. So the idea that you needed to scale differently than owning all the trucks yourself was there. How did you get to the point of creating a franchise? Uh, we did a bunch of uh, investigation. You know, I, I think in my mind, I had heard you know mixed messages on franchising. You know, some was good and some was bad, and so I just decided to talk to a lot of people who had done uh, franchising back in their career. And 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 the message that came out loud and clear is that if you want a successful franchise organization, you need to align the interest of the franchisor with a franchisee, you know, from an economic model perspective. And so make sure that as you're setting up your model, uh, you, you make it be that the franchisee success results in the franchisor success and, and not, uh, you know, not the other way around, uh, which I think is, is the mistake that some franchise organizations have made. And so very much as, as we've developed the model, it's like, okay, let's have you know, let's keep the upfront costs you know, down and let's make sure that the economics for the individual franchisee can uh, can really work. Right. OK, well, let's uh, I definitely have some financial questions for you, uh, yeah. but we'll get to that. Um, so from a getting started standpoint, you know, I've seen like in the back of Inc. magazine uh, ads for consultants. You know, if you want to start a franchise business, call me and so forth. Um, how mm -hmm. did you build the franchise? Did you use a consultant? Did you just research it yourself? Uh, I I had friends that I talked to that had done franchise organizations, and and really, you know, they referred me to other people. So it was really going around and talking to, you know, ten or fifteen people that had done franchising, finding a couple that you you know, really had good deep experience in it, and getting their advice, and then getting you know kind of the the advisors you know from a kind of a legal and structuring perspective to get it all set up properly. 
Yeah. How hard is it to create a franchise business? You know, from a legal standpoint, what is what kind of structure do you need? Uh, so there's a lot of um, there's a, a document called a franchise disclosure document. Um, so you know, first is setting up the entity, and that's relatively straightforward. But the franchise disclosure document is a long, you know, hundred and something page document, and it's uh, franchises are a regulated uh, business in the U.S. And so you've got to comply with all these uh, FTC uh, requirements. And so it is a pretty involved process, and, and uh, you definitely need experts, uh, you know, helping you set it up and, and making sure you're complying and doing everything properly. What, what are you know, if somebody wants to start a franchise business, what are maybe two or three of the things that either surprised you about what you what was required, or were some of the more um, I don't know difficult or laborious things? Uh, you know, I, I come out of background that I'm very comfortable with kind of, you know, legal docs and contracts and all that sort of thing. So I don't say, think it was surprising. I think just the degree to which you have to disclose, you know, all these different aspects of the business and and you really need to have, um, you know, demonstrated, uh, you know, the model yourself so that you have a good basis for creating these documents. If you, you couldn't really start from scratch and say, hey, I want to franchise this thing and, and let's go. You know, you got to spend the time to make sure you've got an understandable business that makes sense that you can then put into a structure or a franchise that goes forward. And so it, it took us, you know, a number of years of operating our businesses to figure out the unit economics of a franchise uh, or of a, of a mobile shop and, you know, how that would work and scale over time. And what, so you're disclosing this, like, from an operational standpoint or expense standpoint or whatever, is mm-hmm. that simply so that the franchisee knows what they're getting into or who are you disclosing these numbers to the government? Uh, well, it's a, you file with the government, but really it's, it's, it's kind of like, think of like a consumer protection kind of thing. Right. Uh, it's, it's disclosing to the franchisee, the prospective franchisee. So there's a whole process where you uh, disclose them on the franchise disclosure document and that goes through, uh, you know, all, you know, kind of all the initial investment costs, what the ongoing costs are, what the risks of the business are, what territories look like, and it defines all that detail. And it's so, uh, you know, it's a very, you know, well thought out, detailed structure that the franchisee is is getting into, and all that detail has to be disclosed. Hmm. Um, so the the fact that you ran your own businesses before franchising, it simply gave you a realistic view of those numbers, but it's not necessarily a legal requirement, right? That's that's correct. That's correct. Yeah. So what yeah. would happen, you know, if somebody just had a, a business concept on paper, which we all know how good and valuable business plans are, um, <laughs> the and they got into it, they they got some franchisees, and the numbers were just completely not in touch with the reality. What's the? Is there a recourse, or is it you can say, well, look, this is what I put in the plan and i'm sorry it didn't work out uh so i'm not i'm not a franchise lawyer expert so i don't want to go too <laughs> too deep into it sure. but you do have to disclose your operating history so if you had a, something on paper and you said hey i've never done that you would be disclosing that you've you've never done before don't have any operating history and and hopefully you know the the, the prospect you know looking at that would say hey this is you know <laughs> this hasn't been proven right so um, run run fast <laughs> okay okay so Cool. Um, well, let's get a little bit more into numbers then. So before yep. we started talking, you kind of gave me a heads up that there's there's some things as far as earnings and stuff that you can't talk about. Um, I think specifically you said 
you cannot provide what are called earnings claims and which is how much a franchisee will earn, what revenue they'll make, et cetera, et cetera. Is that simply because, well, what, why is you, that? Uh, so you can only disclose those numbers to the extent that they're disclosed in detail in that franchise disclosure document. And so, um, uh, uh, and so that's the, you know, kind of, that's the crux of the issue is you can't, unless you've specifically disclosed a specific number in the franchise disclosure document, you can't, uh, you know, tell a specific a franchisee, you know, what the earnings potential is, you know, what revenue they're going to do. They have to build that model up themselves from the information that you provide in the franchise disclosure document. And so we provide some elements of that information. And then, you know, the franchisee prospect, you know, would have to work on, you know, the business plan, you know, based on that, that, that set of data. So basically you'd say, here's what we've done. Your results may vary. Uh, basically uh, in a very kind of, uh, you know, specific kind of way. Yep. Right. Okay. Yep. Well, so then a, a franchisee comes, says, Hey, you know, I, I kind of like this idea. They talk to you guys. Mm -hmm. Surely one of the biggest questions must be, you know, like how much do I stand to make? So how do you answer that? Or how do you help them work through the numbers so that they know it makes sense for them? Cause I imagine you want them to be successful. You don't want somebody to franchise and fail. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, the, um, uh, you know, it's, you know, they, they put together a financial model based on the, the information, you know, based on uh, their market, you know, how many days a week they're going to be running the mobile shop, you know, what you know, they view as labor costs, which might be different than what our labor costs are in the Bay Area. So they've got to build up their own uh, P&L around the business. Um, and, you know, and, and we can, you know, help to some extent, but really that's, that's something that they've got to do. And, and, um, make sure that they have a good grasp around around the business before they commit. All right. Do you guys provide like a template or a worksheet or something for them? Uh, on a very limited, constrained basis. You know, it's, it's, it, you've got to be very careful in terms of what you do in terms of, you know, any kind of earnings claims, claims or representations. Right. So. Okay. And is that because you don't want somebody to come back and sue you or whatever because they say, well, I thought I was going to make this and I didn't? Yeah, I think it's just the, it's the history. And again, I'm not a uh, I don't have years and years in, in kind of franchise law and all that kind of thing. But I think it's more of a consumer protection thing to make sure that it's, you know, open disclosure and fair disclosure for prospective franchisees. Right. Uh, yeah. OK. All right. So then franchise, let's kind of continue on the franchise support or franchisee support mm -hmm. discussion for a minute. What once somebody's signed on, what's the. Mm -hmm process like what kind of things do you do for them how do you get them set up yep yep um so uh, you know so really it's a you know once we've signed a franchise agreement with somebody it's it's like an eight to ten week process to get from signing to to go live and it's a fairly uh, uh turnkey process that we've come up with you know step one is you know we've got to get the the mobile bike shop and so we've got uh you know, fleet deals with uh, with our suppliers, Ford and Mercedes, uh, to get you know, your best pricing on vehicles for for franchisees. And we have a upfitting supplier that does the build out of the mobile shop, and that is you know kind of all the the toolbox, bike stand, electronics, uh, merchandising, all that kind of thing. So that it's a you know uh, you know retail you know bike shop on wheels uh, that that comes you know comes kind of fully built out. And there's a, there's some tweaks that that folks do to to the build out, but it's pretty pretty consistent from from mobile shop to mobile shop. Um, 
And then, you know, then the rest is, you know, defining exactly the territory that's going to be covered, figuring out, uh, um, you know, drive times and that sort of thing. And so that's a that's a process we work through with the operators because you want to make sure that the utilization of the shop is high and you're not spending all your time driving. You're actually uh, spending more time with customers. Um, we go through a whole process of uh, helping the operator define, you know, what the uh, uh, specific SKUs that they carry in the truck are. And this is one place where we've developed a lot of know-how around, um, you know, about 18,000 bikes that we've serviced. And so we've looked at every part that's gone on every bike. And so we can give the operator kind of a statistically accurate number that, you know, if you have these 150 or 350 SKUs and min-max on each one, that you'll be able to do 98% of the bikes you see in the real world, uh, you know, without, without special orders. Um, and you'll be able to restock the truck on a weekly basis because one of the things that's really important about this business is, again, spending time doing revenue generation, not spending time, you know, chasing down uh, orders and restocking the truck all the time and that sort of thing. So it's really about, you know, the the the, the mantra is, you know, let the wrenchers wrench and do revenue-producing things and not be, uh, you know, tied down into the minutia of, um, you know, finding this part or that part or that sort of thing. Uh, so a lot of that know-how is built into kind of our systems and process. Do you guys automate that order process? So if somebody sells a, you know, widget A, then it's logged in, and then the next time the order cycle goes, it's just automatically ordered, or is it still up to the franchisee to order what they want? Yeah, what's what's interesting is it, it, when we started out, uh, we did, uh, you know, we we would define, you know, what the what the SKU was in the product, and we would auto restock the franchisees on a weekly basis. So they'd get a care pack once a week of everything they sold in the prior week, you know, plus any special orders uh, built in. What's happened recently is we've had uh, franchise partners who are actually brick and mortar retailers and have their own supply chain in place. And so instead of dictating exactly, you know, which SKUs go on the truck, we let them map, you know, what they're carrying in their store to what they want to uh, merchandise in the mobile shop so that it's, it's consistent. And then they can, they still get all the intelligence around, you know which which SKUs to stock, but they can pick the actual brands and and items themselves, and that lets them leverage what they're already doing in their business today, versus you know tapping into a whole new supply chain and a whole new product set. So brick and mortar, you mean like somebody owns a bike shop already and they're yep. buying a Beeline system to yep. expand that? Okay. Yep. Now does that does that get weird at all? Because it seems like they're kind of taking advantage of the system you guys have created that ultimately competes with a brick and mortar bike shop uh, well th this is th this is kind of the, the the most interesting thing that we found and I've, I've been telling you know people for uh last three years that the the beeline customer is a different customer than the customer that's walking into uh, a brick and mortar bike shop by and large um and we finally um you know we're able to get some good data in in the bay area here we've run our own uh, sh uh, shops for the last uh, three and a half, almost four years. And just recently, we did a partnership with Summit Bicycles, which is a, a four, now five-store uh, dealer in, in the Bay Area. And, and they had been operating their brick-and-mortar shops for decades in the area here and collecting, you know, customer, customer emails and stuff like that. And so they franchised all of our company-owned operations in the in the Bay Area here, they're now, they're now operating those trucks, but they had the opportunity to compare uh, their customer base to the Beeline customer base, and there was a 2% overlap, actually less than 2%. Hmm. 
And so, and we were operating exactly the same, uh, you know, you know, kind of cities and, and, and counties and that sort of thing. Um, and it just, it just tells us that what I've always believed from the beginning, there's a whole set of customers there that are not, you know, walking into the brick and mortar, but who, you know, love bikes or riding bikes. And so how do we address those consumers and uh, offer them, you know, a convenience or a, 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 you know, a service offering that meets their needs, whether it be, you know, a busy executive who doesn't have time during retail hours to walk into the shop or a garage full of bikes, you know, that a family wants to get serviced, but how are you going to get four bikes in the, in the car and get them down to a shop? Um, or the millennial computer, the millennial, you know, bike commuter who, you know, rides their bike all the time and, and needs it every day, and we can go to the go to the office and and be servicing that bike at at, at work. Um, so I think that you know that's it is it's a different customer, by and large, that we're able to to uh, to address with the mobile model. Hmm. Okay. And so in but your question is is it competitive with the you know with the brick and mortar? I think it's it's additive. You know I think the the big challenge in the in the bike industry has been. You know, how do we get more growth? And you know, every year you see kind of the same, you know, the same numbers. It's really about reaching, you know, new, you know, new consumers who, you know, are not necessarily walking through the, uh, you know, through the front door, but you can go get them in their neighborhood or at their company or at an event and that sort of thing and, and service them there. Right. Okay. So from a franchisee support, a couple more questions on that. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. What sort of training do you provide? You got the equipment set up, yep. but then how do you do? You, yep. What do you do? Yep. So in, as part of this eight to ten week process that I mentioned, uh, we have a, a comprehensive training program, and so every operator that's going to operate a truck uh, goes through a, a, an online course that we have that's about uh, thirty to forty hours uh, worth of time, and that is more to orient them to the mobile model and what they're going to see. Uh, when they come into a one-week training course that we actually put on at our uh, headquarter facilities in San Carlos, California, here, and uh, they come in for the week, and the training ranges. You know, we we uh, they have to be a qualified mechanic to come in for training, and so we're not, um, uh, you know, kind of necessarily vetting all the details of the mechanic skills, but it's more certifications in terms of what types of products can they can they work on? Do they know DI2? Do they know uh, suspension? That sort of thing. So there's a, there is a certification element, but it's a lot around the systems. And, and most importantly, it's around the mobile model. So training that operator uh, around what the customer experience is like in mobile that might be different from anything that they've seen in a, in a, in a brick and mortar world. Because the operator on the truck is both you know, the retail salesperson, the, uh, you know, the mechanic, uh, and, and really the bicycle expert slash consultant for that, for that customer to help them, help them with their needs. Um, and so there's a lot of training and role playing and, um, uh, you know, we built out, uh, service bays that are exactly the, the footprint of a mobile shop. And so all the role playing is done, you know, kind of in a, in an environment that very much mirrors uh, what they see. Uh, in the real world, uh, to the extent that we we have folks that pose as is the um, you know as the uh, you know, three corporate customers that are uh, uh, you know rolling up to get their their bikes fixed at work, or the you know the the busy mom at home who um, uh, you know doesn't have time and you know has screaming kids, and you know how do you you know how do you address address that situation? So uh, you know really get them oriented to what the mobile business is going to be. Um, and then we have owner training as well. So owner manager training. So they come in and, and this is for, 
you know, two to three days of time, and it's around the systems, the process. Uh, you, we've got, you know, a management dashboard, so you can assign, you know, operators to trucks and trucks to days of week and all that kind of thing. Uh, and then all the reporting and, and um, uh, you know, kind of analytical results about how Mobile Shop is doing and how our systems work in that regard. So, you know, we've invested uh, 25, 30 man years of, of time building the um, the, the software platforms that actually allow you to, you know, both acquire customers, get them into the system, uh, have the operator, you know, work in a very efficient day, and then have a manager be able to log into the dashboard and, and see how the business is operating and and, uh, and do it kind of at scale. Well, that starts to answer one of my next questions was, is, is there margins and room built in there for somebody to maybe own multiple trucks and just have other people driving them all day? Well, that's, you know, that's kind of the, the direction we're headed. So we've done most of the uh, franchisees we have are multi-unit owners, hmm. you know, with the idea that they're going to uh, build the business in a given territory. And as the business matures, as the customer acceptance of the mobile model happens, as more bikes are sold online, you know, the density of the number of mobile shops in that area would, would, would grow. And we want to partner in that market to do it, not, you know, a handful of people, you know, kind of competing in the market. Um and that's kind of what we've done with with you know Summit here in the Bay Area. Is they now have five trucks running from San Francisco to Santa Cruz, and um, uh, you know operators are running the truck. They're you know kind of entrepreneurs running their own you know little mini bike shop, and it's managed by the team you know at at, uh, at Summit, um, and they're continuing to grow that team and getting the trucks so they're running seven days a week and that sort of thing. So then, is it? feasible for somebody to try and be a single person owner operator or is it just too much work? No, it, it, it works. I mean, we, we built it in, in, in that, you know, for that kind of scenario at the outset, I think what we're finding is that, um, you know, in smaller markets, that makes a lot of sense in bigger markets. It makes more sense to have, you know, uh, you know, kind of a, you know, a team based approach where you have a, you know, kind of a, you know, owner that has, uh, you know, multiple trucks that are overlapping and, and you, you can offer kind of consistent service to customers, um, you know, on a, on a, on a daily basis. So. Okay. So how do you define a territory for somebody so that you don't get overlap? Yep. So we, we sit down with, with each franchisee that, that, that comes in and, and basically define, you know, kind of work with them to figure out kind of what, what makes sense that for them to cover, um, and it's it's definitely an iterative process. Uh, you know, we've kind of figured out uh, some of the demographic profile that you want to see that that supports you know a, a a mobile shop. But every market's a little bit different, so we really got to work with the you know the the franchisee who has the local knowledge. And you know, in the Bay Area here, you may not want to cross you know, you know the the San Mateo Bridge or the Dunbarton Bridge or something like that. And so, you know, to some extent, those those natural barriers create uh, create territories. Um, but it's definitely a, a, you know, kind of a, a process that we work through with each, with each prospect, depending on, you know, what areas they want to cover. Uh, but we do try to avoid, uh, avoid overlap. How many vans do you guys have operating now or how many franchises? Uh, yeah, we've got about, uh, about 22 vans operating and about, uh, 36 total, uh, 38 total sold. You know, so those are in development. So somebody might buy, you know, a territory and commit to, you know, three or four vans and launch two initially with two more to be developed over time as the, as the market grows. So it's definitely, you know, kind of 
you know, buying a territory and then developing it over time. So what year did you guys have your first truck out on the roads? And then what year was the first franchise sold? So we had our first truck out on the road, uh, September of 2013. So we spent the first three or four months kind of figuring out the model and then launching that, that first truck and, and learning a lot along the way. And then we sold the first franchise at the end of 2015. And really those went live in, 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 um, 2016 is, is franchise operating trucks by and large. Um, so what yeah. is the, um, it's a little more recent than I thought. For some reason, I thought mm-hmm. you guys have been doing it for longer. But mm-hmm. so, what's the what are the hurdles to scaling and growing faster? It seems like if people have different territories, you should be able to dump as many trucks out on the road as you can. Yeah, I think you know, the the you know the biggest the biggest hurdle to growing is just the, the customer awareness of the model. You know, you go into a new market, and um, you know, just like we did in the Bay Area here, you've got to educate the customers that there's this kind of new convenient way of getting your bike, you know, your bike serviced. Um, and, you know, we've developed a whole bunch of proprietary marketing stuff that we've done in the Bay Area. And we train, you know, we also train the franchisees on on that kind of market rollout plan. And so, you know, that consists of things like, you know, uh, going to you know all the companies in the area and and marketing to them and getting them to bring you into their company to support all their bike commuters and all their employee cyclists. Um, uh, same thing with kind of neighborhood, you know, na- neighborhood marketing and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of kind of ground war marketing that we do and we train our franchisees to do as they, as they launch in a new market. Um, you know, and that's, that's the biggest thing is, you know, and, and, you know, like we did here, we grew pretty quickly to, to five trucks and, and there's a lot more capacity now to, to, uh, you know, we'll see Summit, you know, kind of extending uh, the density of, of the number of trucks in the area here in the coming, you know, months and years. So what, um, what's, um, well, like, are you limiting the territory? So if somebody calls from, say, Gainesville, Florida and says, hey, I want a truck, and then somebody from Maryland calls, you know, like, will you, you sell a truck and get anybody set up anywhere, or are you kind of rolling it out section by section? Uh, so we've been kind of constrained in our rollout. I think that the big thing that's changing in the industry and, um, and, you know, you know, we've seen it you know, tremendously is that the, um, direct to consumer bike sales are, are becoming, you know, a bigger and bigger part of the industry. And that creates kind of a really interesting opportunity for the franchise model because those direct consumer bike sales, they need a pro to, uh, assemble that bike and get it set up for the customer. Um, and so we're a natural uh, fulfillment partner for those big e-commerce companies and brands that want to go direct to consumer. And um, we've been working pretty diligently with, uh, you know, with, with brands and e-commerce companies to get that piece uh, going and kind of well-tuned because I think that is ultimately the you know, kind of a big driver for, for new customers into the business as we, as we expand aggressively across the U.S. Right. Um, but is there something stopping you from – setting the setting them up willy-nilly because it seems like you guys are kind of at the moment you sort of have little tiny pockets uh you know you you want to you want a big enough market that it makes sense you know out of the gate and i think as as e-commerce as the e-commerce element grows i think you you'll be able to address smaller and smaller markets if that makes sense just because there's you know kind of a new you know kind of fire hose of consumers coming at the at the mobile business with you know, new bike purchases that need, you know, both assembly setup and then ongoing service. Right. Um, so I think it's it's really about you, you need, 
you know, largely major metros that that you know initially as you're as you're building the business, but over time, uh, as the as the e-commerce element of the industry grows, uh, you can ad- address smaller and smaller markets. Right. So I might feel like I'm beating a dead horse here, but yeah. so like, do you guys have anybody in Orlando, Florida, right now? Nope. Nope. A couple of discussions going on, but nobody right now. Okay. So, so if yeah. somebody called you tomorrow from Orlando and said, yep. "Here's my check. Let's do it." Is there a reason why you wouldn't, or would you jump on it? Uh, well, we want the right partner. So I think I think that's the other thing that we have found is we're not just not going to you know sign sign up. We want somebody who's going to be successful. So we do get people who come in who have you know a check to write, but you know they don't. They may not understand the bike industry. They may not understand you know, working with, you know, operators, you know, mechanic operators on a truck, we want to make sure it's the right fit. So there's definitely a vetting process that we go through to make sure we have somebody that we think can be be successful in the marketplace. Um, and I think, you know, the learning that we've had is that the, the franchisees who have the, you know, call it bike industry IQ, uh, you know, and, and some experience in the industry definitely uh, are, you know, by and large, uh, you know, ramp the business more quickly than those that don't. And so we're looking for that right combination of, yeah, you got to have the capital to do this, but we want, we want, uh, you know, a partner who, you know, has the industry knowledge that's going to allow them to be successful and ramp the business quickly. So if the Metro were large enough and the person had the right skills met with your approval, you'd, yep. you'd sell one anyway. Sure. Okay. Uh, sure. Sure. Yeah. That's kind of what I was getting. I just didn't know if yep. you had like arbitrary geographic limitations for a while, like you wanted to grow kind of like state by state, or if it just... Uh, yeah, I think we, we, we were mainly focused on kind of Western U.S. until we saw the e-commerce piece uh, kick in. And that really, um, we did a, a big partnership with um, uh, Excel, the Raleigh and Diamondback brands uh, last uh, Interbike timeframe. And it, yeah, and we are now doing a lot of direct-to-consumer fulfillment for them, uh, selling directly. And that's kind of just, you know, kind of launched like crazy in the last, uh, I don't know, couple of months. And we've also done a partnership with Amazon to fulfill bikes for them, and they're subsidizing the uh, shipping and the assembly by Beeline and, and compensating us for that. And so that's taken off. And so we're seeing all these these trends that are saying, okay, you know, now's the time to to grow quickly. Um, you know, but we were being a little bit cautious, you know, uh, and making sure that we were were growing in a, in a in a reasonable way until this e-commerce piece started kicking in. Okay. So I've yep. got a ton more questions around all okay. of everything you just said. Okay. <laughs> so let me let me keep on topic for a minute then with the yep. the growing kind of carefully. So with your model, you know the person's buying the truck, and yep. I, I want to talk about like what what they're paying and what they're getting in return on an ongoing basis, not just that upfront training, but they're paying you. They're buying the truck. They're paying you for a franchise fee, presumably. Like yep. what is why couldn't you scale that super fast? Are there costs on your end that would prevent rapid growth or like? No, we can, we, we can, we can scale it quickly. I think it, yeah, I mean, we, again, you want to have successful partners. You don't want to, you know, grow really fast and then, you know, have it, have it not work out because you right. didn't, you know, vet or have the right partner. So it's, it's more about finding the right, you know, partner in the market. Okay. Yeah. Is, um, you said you've got a lot of people kind of, that have have done it, gone in on it, and just uh, you're in the process of getting them set up. Mm-hmm. What's the? I mean, are you guys getting calls every day? Like, what's the the growth rate looking like? Yeah, I think we're we're talking to folks in every major metro in the in the U.S. and 
you know, I, I think we're, we're getting, you know, dozens of inbounds kind of every day, you know, with interest. Um, so I think, you know, we're on the cusp of kind of a major, you know, major growth, growth spurt here. Um, and again, it, it was, you know, in, in large part waiting till the e-commerce piece was, was dialed in uh, before we wanted to start expanding more right. aggressively. All right, let's talk about that. So for the okay. non-bike geeks listening, um, Raleigh and Diamondback are a couple of fairly well-known brands, uh, Raleigh in particular, that have been around forever. They're owned by the same parent company, and they recently, you know, within the last couple of years, started selling bikes direct to consumer. And so for you guys, like you said, that was an opportunity where somebody's going to buy a bike, but maybe they don't know how to put it together right, or they put it together wrong and need it to get fixed. So you guys are in a perfect position to come in, swoop in, and and assemble that for them. Um, was that something where Excel Group contacted you guys and said, hey, we're going to do this. What do you think about offering this service? Or did you hear that announcement and then swoop in and say, hey, you know, can we be a partner on this? Uh, I, I was actively talking to you know, a whole bunch of brands from the, the very largest to, to smaller brands about this because uh, you know, we saw, we saw the trend coming and, um, and knew this was going to be an important component of the, of the mobile model over time. And so, uh, I think we were re- reaching out to the Excel folks, uh, and, and they re- they saw some press release on, on Beeline and, and we connected and had a discussion over an extended period of time that finally resulted in the, in the partnership. Um, before that in, in when 2000, get my years mixed up there, 2015 or something. We also uh, partnered with uh, backcountry.com, which owns competitive cyclist mm-hmm. and sells uh, bicycles online. And so that was kind of an initial, you know, kind of a partnership in, in uh, you know, with an e-commerce partner. And that has also started to, you know, we've started to you work with them as well um, much more recently to actually do uh, setup of, of customers' bikes, uh, service of customers' bikes post-sale and that sort of thing. So... Do you, when you started Beeline though, was this already on your radar of potential uh, growth and revenue sources or did it come about after? Uh, in, in the very first uh, year of operation to that 2013, um, you know, I kind of watched a little bit of, of the seasonality of the business and, you know, it, it became clear that, that, you know, the e-commerce piece, if, if this model was going to be, you know, big and extend to smaller markets over time and, and cover, you know, kind of all kind of geographies throughout the U.S., that the e-commerce piece was going to be a, a meaningful element. And that, that was the reason that I started reaching out to folks, um, you know, to explore, you know, what the, what the potential for that was. And, you know, back, you know, three or four years ago, it was you know, much less so than it, that it is today. So is this, do you think the, the e-commerce aspect of it is critical to the success of a franchisee or could somebody run it as purely a mobile repair shop? Oh, we, you know, we did, we did fine as, as uh, service plus parts and accessories and selling a bike, you know, as a dealer, you know, here and there um, that were great, uh, you know, in the Bay Area market. Um, I do think, again, it's, it's more about, you know, how prevalent this is going to be in, in markets all over the country. And I think the e-commerce piece uh, is a, a big catalyst for, you know, this being, you know, kind of the, the, the way that, you know, many, many consumers can, um, you know, have their bike and have it serviced and that sort of thing. Okay. So from yeah. a 
back to kind of franchisee support then. So you, mm-hmm. you get them set up, you get them trained, you send them out into the real world. Yep. Uh, two questions. What do you provide to them on an ongoing basis? And then yep. what are you getting back from them on an ongoing basis? Yep. So so we maintain, you know, kind of the technology platform. This is everything around, you know, kind of the and, and we provide uh, customer acquisition marketing. Right. So we're we're advertising customers are signing up. They're doing the ground war marketing in their market and customers you know, come through the, the platform. They sign up for service. Um, and we've got a whole see um, customer relationship management system. We've got a corporate portal for managing all the corporate appointments. Uh, we've got a, a service workflow system for the operator to manage their schedule and calendar during the day. Um, and then, you know, more recently, we've done the e-commerce integration so that when a customer buys a bike online, they can actually schedule the delivery date directly into our system. So there's not, you know, human doesn't have to get involved in all the logistics around ship times and availability and that sort of thing. It's an automated uh, kind of scheduling process through the, you know, the Raleigh and Diamondback um, websites. And so, uh, and then, our, you know, our platform has all the reporting and management tools as well. So as part of the, you know, the, the, the franchise system, they get access to that platform. They obviously get access to these brands, you know, the Raleigh and Diamondback brands, competitive cyclist, uh, you know, Amazon, direct to consumer sales. Um, and so they're getting customers delivered to the business that way. Um, and then the other piece that's, that's critically important is, is, um, is the support element. So they get ongoing support when a, a customer calls in and says, hey, do you support you know, the zip code or this city? We have a, a, a you know a bike smart uh, kind of uh, a support team that's answering the phones, uh, getting customers scheduled. They you know what's in a tune-up? You, can you fix this thing? You know we we can buffer all that for the franchisee so they don't have to set up their own call center. And so we're answering the phone seven days a week during all the business hours that we operate in, and uh, and we can buffer that. And there's no reason why any franchisee should have to set up that you know kind of replicate that uh, that support organization. Um, so how is the billing done? Are the payments made through that, that same platform that you guys provide? Yeah. So we, there's a point of sale on, on every truck and we use a third party uh, point of sale system that integrates with our platform. And so when a customer signs up on, you know, the V-Line scheduling system, the customer automatically gets populated into the, into the point of sale. Uh, you know, the operator goes out and does the service on the bike, adds the uh, parts and accessories to it. Uh, and checks the customer out at the point of sale, swipes the credit card, that sort of thing. So we've integrated our tech platform with the point of sale that's on the truck. And then on a, on a monthly basis, the uh, uh, franchisee, we collect a royalty from the franchisee for continued access to the, to the franchise platform. And so they pay us a 6% royalty on revenue that they generate off the truck. Um, and that supports, you know, kind of ongoing platform development and support and that sort of thing. Okay. So, and that's it. That's what they're paying in total is the 6%. They pay that. And then to the extent that we're delivering revenue through these e-commerce channels, we take a, we take a, uh, a slice of the, of the revenue that gets delivered through the e-commerce platform as well. So those are the two main areas where we're getting compensated for either delivering customer through the e-commerce platform or use of the platform itself through the royalty. Okay. Just, uh, purely curious how do you deal with cash you know if the customer pays with cash uh so again each each vehicle has a point of sale on it and customers can pay with cash we see about 90 
you know, 95, 98%, depending on the market of customers are paying with, with credit card. So it, it's, it, each truck has a little cash drawer on it and, uh, but it's not a, it hasn't been a big deal. But just because it's logged through the system of what the, what they did, you're still, you still get that cut. Uh, yeah, yeah, because they, 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 they still take the cash and put it in the point of sale and that sort of thing. What other revenue models do you guys have besides these royalties from the franchisees? Well, so, you know, our, our goal is to have the franchisee develop, you know, a, a successful business through the mobile shop and grow the number of mobile shops over the time. And then our, you know, our, obviously our royalty base grows. Um, and same thing with e-commerce fulfillment as we, as we deliver more customers to the franchise operator, uh, you know, we get, uh, you know, a piece of the, uh, of the, the dollars that are being delivered to the, to the operator through that, through that platform. So for us, it's really about, you know, growing scale and, you know, um, and then, you know, providing, continuing to innovate on the platform and, and, and grow the support team to grow as the, as the franchise base grows. All right. Well, let's talk competition because you guys yep. have a very similar competitor called Velofix that, yep. um, Really, like I, I couldn't tell you what's different between the two of you besides the color of your vans and logo. Yep. Um, yep. What is? What separates you? Um. So I think you know it's 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 interesting. So I you know the model is is relatively similar. They're a franchise model. We're a franchise model. I think um, you know we have taken and I think they would tell you the same thing that you know it's kind of the customer that they're targeting is largely. I think you know served by you know by by bike shops to some extent. Um, it's going after the you know the high end guy with the expensive bike and that sort of thing. I think we've taken the approach of you know we want to get more people on bikes. We want to be accessible, uh, you know, fr- you know friendly and that sort of thing and approachable. And so I think it's more about you know how we how we focus our our, our businesses from the from the customers we target. I think that you know that that's kind of at a high level. I think on a on a on a platform side, the things that we've done to make the day-to-day um, operation of the business uh, streamlined, in terms of tech investment and e-commerce integration, or you know, kind of you know order of magnitude, you know beyond you know kind of where, where they're at in terms of that piece. Um, so you know I think they're they're certainly um, it's always good to have. Uh, competitor the marketplace because that keeps you you know keeps you running but by and large i think we're going after you know uh a, a different piece of the market than they are right well I, th- I think what you guys have done by creating this complete solution for a franchisee where they don't really have to think about much other than wrenching like you said is brilliant you know it goes back to you built this platform and just made it so easy for other people to do what they want to do yep and i think the other piece is you know now now that we're partnering more with shops it's it's you know taking you know if if three million people walk into a shop you know what is that one one percent of the u.s population walks into a shop and buys a bike every year there's 99 percent of the population that you got to address and so we want to figure out how do we you know how do we grow that base and how do we bring more people into cycling or how do we get the 150 million bikes that are sitting in garages you know back on the road again so that you know those people become kind of active consumers in the bike industry again and so i think that's kind of the opportunity we're after all right so while we're talking, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, as far as growth goes, mm-hmm. uh, two ideas came to mind. And mm-hmm. if you thought of them or other things, I'm curious. So, like, one is, you know, there's limited room on the vans, obviously, but uh, so many 
bike brands really lack the capability of having a regional demo program. Is it yep. something where you guys could start running demo programs on consignment or, or contract or whatever? And then the other thing is how hard is it to expand this concept outside of cycling to like skis? And I'm thinking, you know, like one of the reasons why I don't take my family skiing in the winter is because it costs so damn much to rent all the equipment for something we're going to do for two days that if, if I could just pull into the parking lot and somebody was there and said, here's your boots and skis. And it was like 30 bucks. I'd be done. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I think, um, on, on demo programs, uh, first, I, which was your first question. I think that, um, certainly we see that, I mean, you need to have the stable of bikes to do the demo program. So if you're partnering with a brand, you can go and support that activity. Um, but I think with our, you know, kind of recent, um, move towards working with the brick and mortar retailer, uh, what we're seeing is we can have the mobile, you know, and, and the corporate, uh, uh, the corporate customers have a great example. So we're out at like, you know, a Google location and it's one of their campuses and we're out there, you know, the first Wednesday of every month. Uh, it would be very easy for the summit guys to roll out, uh, you know, a demo fleet of bikes and let people test ride the bikes. Um, but they, you know, can they have the brick and mortar, uh, inventory to, to basically draw on there to support that kind of activity. And so we see that as a very, you know, kind of, um, uh, you know, good complement to what we're doing already in the in the mobile business. But the fact that you have a, you know, a brick and mortar shop that that has inventory close at hand and can do that logistically a little bit easier than if you had to, you know, cart the demo fleet around. So certainly see more of that. And we and we carry demo bikes on trucks. You know, sometimes we'll carry an e-bike or we'll carry a a bike that the operator is kind of excited about so that they can let the customer test ride something you know, while they're, while they're servicing the other bikes. So, you know, we definitely see an element of, of that, um, being important over time, uh, in terms of skis, I think, you know, what you're talking about in terms of, uh, rental skis and stuff, there's, there's, you know, folks that do that in, in certain markets. I, I, th I think we will do ski tuning in certain markets. Um, uh, probably not, uh, you know, you know, a complete, you know, demo skis and, and boots and that sort of thing. Um, but well, it's very market market specific, or really any other sport. I just that was the one example ah. I could think of. You know, it's. I mean, it seems like you've you've built this platform. Yeah. It shouldn't yeah. be very hard to transition it from cycling to A to B to C. Yeah, yeah. No, that's so. When we built the platform at the outset, we we started and built it kind of in a general purpose way, so that we could, you know, evolve over time to, you know, to 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 other markets. I think we've been squarely focused on, on bike and continue to be, but there's certainly no reason why it wouldn't be applicable to other, you know, other opportunities over time. Right. Um, answer this however you want, but what's been the, what was kind of the, to get your own vans originally and build mm -hmm. kind of that foundation of the business? Like what was the startup capital required for that? And then to go to a full franchise support platform with all this back end that you described, like, what did it cost you guys to get to that point? Um, you know, I, we spent many hundreds of thousands of dollars building kind of the tech platform and, the, uh, you know, getting the initial trucks going and that sort of thing. Most of the investment, you know, was in in the in the technology platform, honestly, to you know to build that and get that to be scalable and and that sort of thing. Um, you know, the business itself is not that capital intensive. You can you can buy a truck from you know, Ford or Mercedes and finance that and that sort of thing. And so, um, that, that wasn't the main, you know, the main, uh, you know, cost of capital, you know, what we were doing in the early days was just trying to learn a lot. And so, 
you know, the team would go out and they would come back at the end of the day and we'd sit down and, and, you know, what did you learn? What worked? What didn't work? You know, I would be out at, at neighborhood visits and corporate visits a bunch and, you know, just watching kind of the customer interaction, watching how the guys were using the system um, and, and really trying to iterate and innovate really quickly so that we could make it uh, more and more streamlined for, for both the customer, uh, you know, on the front end of the process and the, and the operator on the, on the operating side of it. Right on. Um, cool. Well, so a couple of quick follow, uh, last minute questions here. Yep. What mm -hmm. pieces of advice would you give mm -hmm. to somebody who wanted to create a franchise type business? Well, I think it, it goes for probably any business is that, you know, you want to kind of uh, an aligned team, a good, you know, strong team that's working with you that is committed to, you know, kind of the mission and has that same passion that, that you, know, you have as kind of a, a founder of the business. And then, um, you know, I think, you know, in, particularly the franchise models, you've really got to get the model dialed in before you start franchising and make sure you understand, you know, the business at a, at a fairly detailed level and, um, and demonstrate that it's, it's, you know, that, it, that it looks to be replicable. Um, and I, I, that, I think that's critical before you start franchising is really, you know, kind of prove out the business and make sure you, you got something that, that, you know, others, you know, there's enough of a platform there that people can build on, on your learnings. What are some of the, maybe one or two biggest challenges you guys face and how'd you overcome them? Uh, the biggest challenge initially was just, uh, you know, the bike industry is, um, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, I don't know what, uh, closed or, or old school. And so, it, you know, at the beginning it was just, you know, getting, getting folks to open us up so we could get access to parts and, you know, get bikes to sell and that sort of thing. And so, you know, in the early days you would go call on somebody and, and say, oh, you're, you're not brick and mortar, you're mobile. Um, so we, you know, spent the first, you know, kind of a year breaking through those barriers and convincing folks that we were a, a real viable business and we were complying with map policies and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I, there was a lot of plane flights and a lot of PowerPoint presentations, you know, getting, getting, getting folks over the, over the hump on that. So I think, um, that was, that was kind of the first thing I, you know, I, and the second piece was really figuring out, you know, how do you find consumers at a market? You know, what, what are the, the sales techniques that really work because you can spend a ton of money marketing online and you, you know, you, you really got to figure out, you know, how do you, how do you, uh, educate folks about this new this new uh, model, and we've got you know you know a whole bunch of techniques that we developed that we now train each franchisee on in terms of hey you know here's the here's the 15 things you can do and here's the highly recommended ones and you know it's going to be different for every market but really it's it's kind of the marketing uh, launch package that that everybody can use to kind of take and, and build a business in in their market. All right. So for the the parts that they order is, did you guys work out a deal with one of the existing distributors like uh, QBP or BTI or something, and everything comes from them? Or uh, so in in the early days, yeah. So we, you know, when we had you know our own shops here and we were running our own supply chain, we worked with uh, uh, three or four different distributors, and we went direct. And ultimately, we probably had a hundred hundred different relationships direct with with um, you know large and small suppliers. You know, because the, the the point was we had to have access to everything, right. for you know, a, you know, you, you never know what a bike's going to need, right? Sounds and like so a we, logistical nightmare. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, that's the. I mean, we built a whole you know platform around special orders and that sort of thing to automate the process and you know track shipping and stuff like that. So you know, there's a whole bunch of other development went, that went on just on that logistics piece of it uh, as well. 
Um, but yeah, a lot, a lot of learnings in that regard. And, and, um, yeah. So you said early on, is that still the way it works then? Uh, so when, when we partner with a retail partner and they have their existing supply chain, you know, they don't need all of that, uh, uh, you know, they don't need all the parts to come through, you know, from quality bike parts, you know, and, and drop ship directly to them. Right. They already have that relationship in place. And so they, they do tap into our supply chain, you know, occasionally when they, you know, when there's an oddball thing or some relationship we have that they don't, but by and large, our retail partners are using their existing suppliers, uh, to get, um, to get their product. But the, um, the people who only own the vans, you said, you know, like yep. they're getting a care package. Is that, yep. uh, that's, that's still, that's still, uh, you know, operates today for, for everybody that does not have an existing, you know, brick and mortar supply relationships in place. And that's, that's a very, you know, kind of streamlined defined process that we built say you needed 20 different things and you know like qbp only carried 10 of them and the other 10 each had to come directly from that particular brand what uh, how do you end up getting that all into one care package or do you oh yeah so we consolidate here at at our facility in 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 california so um uh, we we drop ship you know if something you know like if quality has something we can drop ship it directly to a franchisee so that's not a problem uh, but for the, the the you know weekly restock, we consolidate here kind of the stand that standard list of SKUs that that I mentioned. So you guys we inventory send, that stuff on site. Yeah, 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 yeah. We do. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And it's a it's a fairly constrained list that we've defined over time, uh, so it's not a ton of inventory. But you know we we manage that here locally. Yeah. Right. Okay. What? Uh, sorry, I keep thinking of more questions. Um, insurance. How do you yep. how do you deal with that for the franchisees? Uh, so uh, every franchisee that signs up, you know, has to, you know, have both vehicle and, and business insurance. And so we have a, a, a brokerage firms, actually a, a couple of brokerage firms we work with who have programs that they've developed specifically for the business. And so the franchisee can go to that that firm and get the package or they can, you know, get their own directly through, you know, whoever they're, you know, if it's a shop and they want to add mobile on to their, their business, they, they might have an existing relationship they can go through. But we do have baseline insurance requirements that are required for every franchise operator. Have you guys run into an issue where a franchisee got into an accident or caused an accident or messed up somebody's bike and it's worked its way up directly to you guys? Or is it usually handled at the franchisee level? I uh, knock on wood, nothing, you know, no, no issues <laughs> right. so far. So yeah. good, good. Cool. Well, uh, I appreciate your time. That was fascinating. I'm, like I said, man, the people who create the platforms are the ones that grow it big. And it sounds like you guys are well on your way. We're learning every day and continue, <laughs> continue to build it. So, yeah. All right. On. Well, Peter, man, right. thanks a ton for your time. Okay. Thanks, Tyler. Appreciate mm-hmm. it. Bye. All right. Bye. What strikes me about Peter's story is how much thought and effort they've put into creating a positive experience for their franchisees. These are their core customer, and by keeping them happy and streamlining the process so well that the franchisee can focus on repairs, assembly, and other services for local riders, they're creating a closed loop that makes it really hard to leave. On top of that, Beeline is bringing new business to their franchisees by negotiating delivery and assembly deals with manufacturers pricing breaks from distributors, and completely automating the inventory management. Pete starts out by saying the best lesson he learned prior to starting is to have a dogged pursuit of your goals. And thanks to that, they're on the cusp of rapid expansion. I hope you liked this episode. If so, I have a simple request from you. Let me know who you would like to hear interviewed. Message me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at 
The Build Cycle. And let me know what you like, what you want to hear more of, and anything I could be doing better with the podcast. And if you're listening on iTunes or Stitcher, could you take two seconds and give me a rating and review? That helps a ton. Thanks, and until next time, keep building. Keep building.